0: Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us.
1: Welcome, everybody, back to First Class Fantasy. Billy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Theo.
2: How are you doing? I'm excited for our guest today.
1: No, I'm stoked. Uh, You know, we talked about uh, having tremendous guests on First Class Fantasy. Uh, Billy and I uh, are delivering today with our first guest, J.J. Zachariason. Uh, J.J., uh, if you're a fantasy football fan, you're following J.J. Uh, He puts out tremendous content every single year. Specifically, this time of year, he drops his late round rookie guide and sophomore guide, which is just fantastic. And we're going to get a chance to uh, talk to him. Uh, And I am also proud to be a league mate now of JJ's in the, in the black crown dynasty league put together by our friend, Curtis Patrick of Rotoviz. So we're going to be going head to head, JJ. I I, I took over an orphan. So I'm not sure how strong your team is, but, but it, I'm ready to compete with you guys.
3: It's it's not strong. I'll say that I, w- I went through a, a, a rebuild pretty quickly after just like not having a great year one. But right now, because of that rebuild, I'm sitting in the in the Bijan driver seat right now. So I'm 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 feeling decent. I, I have a decent squad aside from running back. So it's kind of a good fit. So we'll see what happens.
1: Well, you're going to add a decent running back, so so yeah. that'll be that'll be <laughs> pretty <not> good. good.
3: <laughs> but quickly before
1: we start. A player you're very high on and I'm high on as well. and Billy Muzio actually selected in our player profiler mock draft that we're in the middle of is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Today he just ran unofficial forty times the four five zero and four five three at Ohio State's Pro day. Are you happy about these numbers, JJ? Are you thrilled about these numbers?
3: Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I do think that we have to always uh, look at numbers like that with a grain of salt, uh, you know, pro day numbers generally, I know, uh, you know, player profiler uh, will, will always adjust pro day numbers by about 0.05 and such. And uh, you know, that's what I found too, to be, to be effective uh, and to be worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I mean like a, a, a four five two, even a four five five. that even if you adjust these under that four, six, I think is really good. You know, I, I do think that when you look at JSN, um, some people are going to say, you know, Justin Jefferson played a lot in the slot at LSU. And look what look what's happened in the NFL, where he's obviously a perimeter guy can play all over the field. I don't think it's really that much of an apples-to-apples comparison. Uh, you know, Justin Jefferson was really fast also. You know, he ran, I believe, a sub-4-4. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson, yeah, he played the slot a lot during his final season at LSU. But the year before that, he had a really good yards per route run rate while playing the mostly on the perimeter at LSU uh, during that, that second to last season in college. So, you know, I, I do, I don't think JSN is necessarily going to be that like, Oh, he was a slot guy during his, his last full collegiate season. And now he can play the perimeter. I think he can play the perimeter, but I think it's more of like a Keenan Allen situation where, you know, Allen plays 50, maybe 60% of his snaps from the slot. Uh, and he can be very, very productive because he's such a a technical route runner, which is what we see with JSN. Uh, but it's good to see that speed is there because it gives you a little bit more confidence that he can move to the outside and not just be typecasted to just be a slot guy
1: yeah it's it's definitely uh it it was like the one knock on him and i think it's more of a reassuring thing i think if you like jsn today you're happy uh and if your your knock on him was that he's gonna be slow it's it's kind of hard to to kind of pick your battles at this point i think he he definitely solidified himself uh and it's super super exciting but jj why don't you tell us a little bit about the late round prospect guide. I I purchased mine. I purchased it last year as well. Uh, it's really, really high quality. I think it helps not only dynasty managers, but also anybody who plays fantasy football. You go deep, deep into these running backs and wide receivers. And this year, you also take a look at the sophomores. Um, why don't you tell us about this and maybe some of the the unique tools that you utilize as well?
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, I think like a lot of analysts, uh, you want as much ammo as you possibly can have. You know, when you go on shows like this or when you do your own analysis, um, you know that that you can really feel confident about. Um, and that's really why I went and I started to build these models in the first place. You know, back in like 2019, I really screwed up that wide receiver class. Like, I was like out there touting Andy Isabella and doing just really stupid stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this can't be the way that that prospecting goes. Like, this cannot be. Uh, you know, the, my process, you know, because I really didn't have like a honed in process. It was just like, yeah, this guy seems good, et cetera. So, you know, he has these traits, whatever. And so I started building these models uh, with with some goal in mind. And that goal being trying to predict how well a guy is going to perform, whether it's running back or wide receiver across his first three years in the league. And how I define that is I take his best two seasons. I call it B2S, best two seasons in points per game. I average that out. And that's essentially the score that I'm working towards and, and working against, right? Um, and so I look at all these different inputs and I get a percentile score for every wide receiver and running back that's entering, uh, the NFL. And I've been, you know, I, like you said, I, I started late round fantasy football last year. That's when I did the first prospect guide. It was really the first time that I put everything out there, uh, which was a little bit scary. Um, but, uh, you know, the results were definitely there and I was, I was really excited about that. And so. Uh, I'm able to sort of like, look, not just, you know, I, I view these, these, uh, the, the model and the guide and such as a guide, right? Like it's, it's not making my decisions for me. It's more so saying, okay, uh, you know, this player, you know, the, the dynasty community is saying this about this player, but my model saying this, why, why is there such a big difference between those two things? You know, a good example of that is Chris Alave last year where the dynasty community, was you know there were a lot of people who were fading Alave for the most part because of the the lack of early declare status and while early declare status is an input in that model for wide receivers, uh, Chris Alave still had the second best prospect score wide receiver in the class and so I'm sitting there and I'm like I, I should probably be going after Chris Alave in my in my leagues and so you know I know that's a, a win for me and I'm I'm talking about the win of course and there's sometimes there will be losses as well but that's really why I built the model in the first place to really have a backbone and to not get like too high or too low on certain players. You know, Sky Moore is another one where it's, it was really easy to fall. I, You know, before I like had all the inputs in there for these players, I'm like, I'm, I know I'm going to love Sky Moore. I know I'm going to love him. He comes out with an 86 percentile score in the model, which was fine, uh, but Jahan Dotson was at a 94th percentile score. And so that gap was fairly significant, whereas the gap in the dynasty market was not as significant. And so it's those sort of small edges that I think, uh, the guide and, and the, the, the prospect scores and the prospecting, um, you know, the model can really help people out with. Now,
2: JJ, do you have like, or do you discount say that their are two best years were maybe their rookie year and their sophomore year versus maybe a junior or senior, or depending upon the order in which you're taking those, those, those numbers for your model, is there a discount or maybe a premium if they're more recent versus later?
3: Yeah. So to be clear, the, the model itself, the production inputs that it's looking at, there's three production inputs for running back and wide receiver. And then there's a lot of other things, you know, like breakout age, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that those, those production inputs are all best season production inputs. So whatever season a guy had his best yards per team pass attempt rate gets thrown in there, his best touchdown share gets thrown in there, et cetera. What the model is looking against is how they're doing in the NFL. And it's kind of backtracking, right? Cause I built it in 2020. Um, and so I wanted to use data since 2011 actually goes back further than that. But the, the, the guys that I always reference date back to 2011, and it looks at how well these guys did in the NFL in years one through three. So it doesn't matter which two seasons those came from. It's just any two seasons. Cause obviously one guy might get hurt one year, you know, he doesn't really do a whole lot, or it might be, he blows up as a rookie and then he does really well year three, maybe doesn't have a good year two. Um, but generally speaking, you know, you could also think of it as like a max best season because there's a really strong correlation between max season across his first three years in the league and the top two seasons. That's great. Yeah, you hit on
1: Alave well. I remember that there was a lot of knock on him that that he was not an early declare, but you were able to you know say that you know he did have early production uh, and I, and there was other other metrics that really alerted you to him. So I, I appreciated that. But Alave was a, was a was a good one for you. But you also hit on a rookie last year that a lot of people did not have on their fantasy radars. And he was on a lot of championship rosters. That was Isaiah Pacheco. What did your model like about Pacheco? And uh, yeah, you can flex that one, JJ, a little bit.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, like there's going to be stuff I get wrong, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the Pacheco thing was was a W for the model. And and I say that, you know, there's a lot of layers. To this to I, I look at this with a lot of nuance. I, again, I don't look at this score and say, this is the guy's score. We got to go with it. We got to run with it. What have you? Because there's going to be flaws to this model, and we'll, we'll probably talk about that later on the show. But um, you know, with, with Pacheco, uh, I, I have this this uh, number, this this metric within the model uh, called draft capital delta. It's really easy actually to understand. All it is is so every player gets a percentile score for their prospect score, right? So Isaiah Pacheco was like a 48th percentile prospect in my model, which is not very good. But that's what happens when you get drafted really, really late. Because draft capital is part of this model, and so he's a 48th percentile. Uh, a prospect score, but based on where he was drafted, he had a 38th percentile uh, a draft capital uh, score. And so essentially that's saying that of all the guys in the database, because that includes undrafted players as well, where Isaiah Pacheco got drafted was in the 38th percentile. And so the difference between those two numbers was ten over 10 percentiles or 10, 10 points, right? And so what that told me was what that alerted me was that my model liked Pacheco more than the NFL did, essentially, and where he was drafted in the NFL draft. And so there is a correlation. And I actually sent an email blast out to my subscribers about this just last week. And I've talked about it on my show plenty. There is a correlation between having a positive draft capital delta and doing better in fantasy football, Um, even when you adjust for where these guys are getting drafted, etc. And so... If you have a positive draft capital Delta, that's a good sign at running back in particular. If you have a, a really, really high positive draft capital Delta, which is what Isaiah Pacheco had, that's also a good sign. Just as an example, the highest draft capital Delta in the model at running back is Aaron Jones. Just to give you you know, a, a quick, you know, this is a metric that actually has, I know it's only one data point, but just to give you an example. Um, and so Pacheco had a really high draft capital Delta, but then on top of that, I look at player comps. And my comps, my player comps are... Based on uh, you know size, obviously, uh, but they're also based on some of the production inputs that my model looks at. And the top player comp for Isaiah Pacheco was Damian Williams, and Damian Williams thrived in the Kansas City offense. And so all of these things just started to come together to to me to say, hey, you know, the last line in the player blurb in that prospect guide last year was basically, go draft Isaiah Pacheco. He should be a high priority target for you. You know when I say that, I don't expect this, you know, I didn't expect Isaiah Pacheco to be the starting running back for the chiefs in the freaking super bowl, you know, and, and have 70 plus per all purpose yards and all that kind of, I mean, like there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm projecting that to happen. But again, this is all about finding small edges. This is all about increasing your probability of hitting on guys. And to me, Isaiah Pacheco, just based on all that information made a lot of sense as a target.
1: No, it was definitely an awesome all-time hit last year. I think you were very successful with this. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find uh, this, the, the late round prospect guide and also the, the podcast that you've been putting out as well, JJ.
3: Yeah. So late round prospect guide, you can find over on late com. There's also the year two model, which you alluded to, which you can get information on that, uh, in the guide it's 1499. And then, uh, my podcast, the late round fantasy football podcast, you can find on late com as well.
2: Awesome. Well, everybody let's stick around, buckle up. We're about to get a quick word from our sponsor from the FFPC.
0: You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the, the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of Fantasy Football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never-too-early best ball leagues cranking since February. And so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, Hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code underworld to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg
2: JJ, looking at your model, there's uh, one rookie uh, who, you know, is not surprising that it's popping up and it's Bijan Robinson. And his statistical comparisons were, you know, Zeke Elliott, Brees Hall, Najee Harris. He's a one-on-one right now inside rookie drafts without question. Where should individuals be valuing right now or valuing him right now in redraft?
3: Yeah, look, you know, it's it's not unprecedented to have a first round rookie running back in redraft. I think that, you know, people are reacting to what they're seeing in the market right now. And they're seeing that he's going like late first, you know, maybe at the one, two turn or in the first round, what have you. And and they're like shocked. Like, how, how could you be possibly drafting this guy in the first? We don't even know what team he's going to play on. But if you look at history, you know, since 2011, we've had three first round in redraft rookie running backs. One of them was Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which was very obviously based on landing spot and very obviously a, a big mistake. But the other two were Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley. And I think if you look at these guys as prospects, I mean, one of B. John Robinson's comps in my model was Zeke, right? Uh, and he comps much more favorably to a guy like Saquon or Ezekiel Elliott than he does to someone like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, obviously. Um, you know, I'm a believer in talent uh, and, and talent creating opportunity for players. You know, any team that drafts Bijan Robinson, you know, there are some where I'd get a little bit concerned about maybe him not seeing, you know, there was a, a recent mock. I think DJ did it where uh, Bijan went to New England uh, at like 14 overall, which I think would actually create some sort of a problem. Like that yeah. that is one where there because Ramondre Stevenson's very, very good, right? So there's there's two talented running backs going at it, but you know, it's similar to like Brees Hall and Michael Carter last year. We see this all the time where you know, there's this incumbent who were like, yeah, you know, he's a decent player and maybe he could see a lot of volume. Or even if it was Damian Pierce this year, where it's a decent player who could maybe see a lot of volume, but if you're going to get a uh, legitimate stud blue chip type prospect into that backfield, that blue chip prospect is going to take over that backfield. It's just what happens. I mean, they're, they're good players and good players demand the rock. And if a team's going to spend first round capital to get that guy, that guy's going to see uh, you know, a, a decent amount of work. So I think that he's fine as a first rounder. Like I would probably rather have him in the late first, um, you know, one, two turn area where you're getting like a Saquon one type or something like that. Um, you know, I think that he, he belongs sort of in that range because he is that talented. He is that good. Again, this is not unprecedented. We've seen rookie running backs do very, very well in fantasy football in the past. And look, you know, you can make the argument and you can say, well, what if he lands in a really bad spot? Well, I could come back and say, well, what if he lands in a really good spot? I mean, there's there's a place like Cincinnati sitting there. Like, what if Cincinnati gets rid of Joe Mixon and B. John Robinson is their every down back? B. John Robinson, you could argue, would be a top three running back in fantasy football. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that you just have to weigh that those odds, look at the probability from that perspective and kind of go from there. So I think that's what people are doing. I think the market is, is pretty much right right now. Uh, with where he's being drafted.
2: Can you think of maybe a, uh, maybe two or three teams inside the top 20 that you would be moving him down inside of your rankings or your, into your model based upon landing spot? I know New England was one you mentioned, but can you think of any others on top of your head?
3: Off the top of my head, um, I don't know. want to do uh, Rapid Fire? I could do Rapid Fire. Yeah, Rapid Fire would be good. Carolina, up or down? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say neutral. I think that's fine. Okay, Houston? Again, I'd say pretty much neutral. Cardinals, again, I'd I'd say the same. Colts, that would suck. Yeah, that would be bad. That would, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I,
0: here's
1: one. Here's one for both of you guys. Dallas with Tony Pollard there, and it's, it's, it's John and Tony Pollard. How should we react to that one?
3: I think that's one of the spots where we would bump down, where where we would where where it would just torpedo, you know, everything. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'll talk about Pollard in a second. I think, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think that would be a spot where similar to New England you have a a running back who is talented and does warrant touches in that backfield and that's that's the fear so my thing with
2: Dallas though is that Zeke has had 200 plus carries in, in, in year after year after year mm-hmm. we're now probably going to be expecting that type of volume to continue if they do land somebody like Bijan where Pollard is going to have to you know keep his efficiency up in order to maintain his ADP. I think they would complement each other well, and I could see Jerry Jones going out and doing it because it is a Texan, right, coming from Texas. Um, the other one that people have kind of thrown around, which is not out of the question right now, would be the Eagles. And that one for me, although I like the pace of play and everything that would probably benefit in terms of running back, I'd be a little frightened of it just because of the three-man rotation that the Eagles are always running with inside their backfield right we saw miles sanders we saw gainwell we saw boston scott all throughout the season in a variety of different packages
3: what would you think about him landing in philly i think the the biggest fear for me with philly because i would assume that if a if a team like philly which is a very smart front office obviously probably the smartest in football i I don't think they're gonna go this direction because of that but if they did hypothetically um you know I, i think that they would understand that if they're gonna spend that capital they would sort of rid of you know, let's, let's, let's cross our fingers and hope to God that they do not rotate Boston Scott in there with, with Bijan Robinson, you know? Um, but I, I think honestly, the biggest fear might be the fact that, uh, you know, I've done some studies on this, but mobile quarterbacks, you know, I know that this is sort of a, a stereotype, but mobile quarterbacks really don't target their running backs very often out of the backfield. And, and that's a fear. Last season, Philadelphia was dead last in team target share to the running back position. And so, uh, that would be somewhat of a fear for me with Robinson. And then obviously, you know, I know Miles Sanders did his thing at the goal line last year, but they were also pretty efficient down there. And we know that Jalen Hurts can still steal some of those looks as well. So essentially what you're asking for and what you need in an environment like that is for that Philadelphia offense to just continue to score a ton of touchdowns so that those touchdowns, even though the share might not be great, you know, at the goal line or what have you, but there's just so many of them that it doesn't matter that much, which is what we saw with Miles Sanders last year. But I think the receiving work is probably the biggest would, would be the biggest question mark with Philly. Like I, I personally think that like a Cincinnati location is by far just the best possible scenario here. Uh, and it's better than Philadelphia, despite the fact that those two offenses are both, you know, probably comparable in terms of like how much they're going to score next year. Yeah.
1: I, I, I tend to agree with you, uh, JJ, that I, I, I would, there's not too many landing spots that would really change, change my mind on him. And I think that the devil's advocate would be for Philly, Uh, that he'd be stepping into a great offense chance to score a lot of touchdowns with a great offensive line. So um, I can pretty much paint a positive picture for any landing spot for a player like Bijan. But one rookie running back that uh, incoming is a guy who drafters have slightly more mixed opinions on. That's Jameer Gibbs. You have him ranked highly, but you seem to have slight apprehension about the profile. What are your thoughts on him and what are some landing spots for you that could move him up?
3: Yeah, so I mean, I could give you a, a short version or a semi-long semi sh- version-ish. I'm, I'm going to go with the latter just because I think it's important. I think it's a really important concept. So right now, he's not in the 95th percentile or above within my model, which is usually where we see the elite, elite running backs land. Um, a lot of this has to do with the fact that he's 199 pounds. And now I am absolutely not one of those people who say, oh, he didn't hit 200 pounds. We got to avoid him at all costs. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but even if you do raise that threshold by 10 pounds to 210 pounds, there's still some worry. There's still a red flag to that profile overall. Um, and, and let me let me just run down some some of these numbers that I sent in a newsletter a couple of weeks ago. Because I, I, again, I think it's it's just important. Um, so you have two you, you have these different weight classes of running backs uh, that I categorize them, and, and this is all based on my prospect model. these are guys who were uh, drafted or who went to the NFL Combine since 2011. Okay, so there's a lot of running backs in there, but I group them up as 230 plus pounds, 220 to 229 pounds, 210 to 219, et cetera, et cetera, right? So eventually you get to like these really light, I did 180 pounds and below or 190 pounds and below. Um, So you group those players together and you start to see which guys within their first three years of their career hit 10 plus PPR points in a given season, 12 plus 14 plus, et cetera, et cetera. And what you find across this massive sample is that the larger the running back, the more often they're hitting these higher thresholds, right? The more often they're hitting 14 plus PPR points per game in one of their first three uh, seasons in the league. Um, and, and even if, you know, even if you look at the 200 to 209 pound range, that's still worse off. Those guys are still worse off than the 210 to 219 range. I, I know that a lot of times, for whatever reason, the the dialogue around this is about 200 pounds, but to me it's about 210 pounds, um, which is a significant difference to where, Jameer Gibbs is. Now people are going to sit back and they'll say, but lighter running backs aren't usually drafted early. Right. And so if they're not drafted early, then obviously the sample size that we're working with here are worse running backs in terms of just their, how, how talented they are. Right. Uh, and that's not wrong. You know, if you look at these groupings, again, the 190 to 199 pound running backs, their, their median, uh, draft capital was 376. I just assigned 500, the number 500, to any undrafted player. Uh, and then, you know, guys above 230 pounds, Uh, Had a median draft capital of 140. So it was a lot different compared to those lighter backs. So what I did was I looked at day two picks. So essentially, I looked at pick 33 to pick 100 and I compared the weight classes there. You know, I compared the guys who were drafted because they were all drafted in a similar range, which would tell us that they're similarly talented backs, right? And when you look at it from that perspective, again, you very rarely see hits from running backs who are below 210 pounds, let alone below 200 pounds, let alone below 190 pounds. We haven't seen any running back below 190 pounds get drafted in that range since 2011. Probably going to change this year with Devon A-Chain. Uh, but even the guys who were, who were in that 190 to, to 200 range, very rarely panned out. And then the guys even in the 200 to 210 range, uh, you know, we, we barely saw hits. Just in the, as an example, only 15% of that 200 to 209 pound running back range uh, have gotten to 14 or more PPR points per game that number, so it's 15%, that number goes to 47% when looking at the weight class above, the, the 210 to 219. And so at the, at the end of the day, I think it's not, I don't want to say ignorant. I just think that it's, it's uh, you're, you're not looking at every possible variable. If you're saying that Jameer Gibbs is this elite, elite prospect, maybe he is from a real football perspective, but from a fantasy football perspective, we often see bigger running backs get more volume and that's what we care about in fantasy at the end of the day. Um you know if he goes to a place like Kansas City, you know if he goes to one of these like pass heavy offenses that need uh or could could use a pass catching back, yeah, I mean that's going to change things a bit because obviously uh the fits there in the 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 offense is there, but um you know I just I think it's very very important to to look at that factor and it's not just hitting thresholds to me. You know, it, it's not like he's 209 pounds and I'm looking for him to be 210 pounds. He's 199 pounds. Like that's significantly lower than that mark. And I think that's important. Interesting. And is there any spots that
1: would really, really, you know, get, get him into big trouble in terms of your outlook for him in 2023?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think most spots, again, with mobile quarterbacks, um, that that's that's really if you want a, a large grouping, most spots with mobile quarterbacks, I don't want them to go to. Or, or if I'm if I'm a Gibbs fan, I would not want them to go there. You know, if like Chicago for whatever reason is able to, to get them or something like that, like if if someone's trading in or, or if we're looking at Philadelphia, you would hope that a team like Philly, again, they're drafting a player like this. Uh, they would utilize that player and and, and optimize his skill sets. But we have to keep in mind that these these teams are drafting players based on just Them trying to win football games. And, you know, someone like Devon A. Chain is a really great example of this too, where he's tiny. I mean, Devon A. Chain is very, very small. And what we're trying to solve as fantasy football analysts is not the same as what an NFL team is necessarily trying to solve. Devon A. Chain can be fine in the second, third round of the NFL draft and be a very impactful player in actual football. And yes, there's usually a correlation between how well a guy does in the actual NFL and how well he does in fantasy football. But there are times where a guy can be really good, uh, a really good change of pace type player like A-Chain is and and be valuable for his team and be very, very efficient, but not be as good in fantasy football. And that's really what this comes down to uh, for me and Jameer Gibbs, that I I don't think we can just assume that even if a team takes him really, really high, that they're just going to give him this like 230 plus attempt, you know, a hundred plus target type workload Uh, because the size is a concern.
2: JJ, this wide receiver class leaves a lot to be desired and isn't as strong as, as years in the past, but are there some intriguing prospects that you think inside your model that you'd like to highlight?
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I I like JSN. I already talked about him earlier. Um, you know, I think that he's sort of in that Keenan Allen, uh, mold, uh, the top comp in my model was Juju Smith-Schuster uh, but at the same time, another comp for him was Jamar Chase. So kind of think in the middle of the two of them, I think, is like sort of what JSN is. I like Jordan Addison. Uh, you know, I I think a lot of people are going to overrate his athleticism in that profile. But I found that athleticism is not that big of a deal at wide receiver. It's more for draft capital purposes. And so if the draft capital is there for Addison, then I'm I'm cool with him. My top comp for him is Calvin Ridley. Josh Downs, great slot guy, very, very productive. I think he's very, very solid. His top comp, he's like a spitting image of Elijah Moore in my model. Uh, but one guy who, you know, if you want more of like a sleeper, who I feel like the the draft community is talking about maybe a little bit more than the fantasy uh, community is in the dynasty community, that's Jaden Reed from Michigan State. Um, you know, he's someone who, uh, I mean, if you look at mock drafts and stuff right now, like he's super flex leagues, like he goes in like the fourth round. I mean, he's a, a complete dart right now. Um, but he has a really, really interesting sort of story and path and and production profile. He spent his freshman year at Western Michigan um, and then he moved to Michigan state. When he transferred, he had to sit out that first year, but when he transferred, so he's a little bit older than what we would like, Um, but he did it all in college. I mean, he, he uh, returned kicks. He returned punts. He saw touches on the ground. He was a really good receiver. He had good production uh, as a receiver, Uh, but he also had a really good breakout age because of what he did at Western Michigan. And what's really interesting is that at Western Michigan, over the last two years, we've had two Western Michigan wide receivers go in the second round of the NFL draft. You had D. Eskridge, and then you had Sky Moore last year. And when when uh, when Jaden Reed was a freshman at Western Michigan, D. Eskridge was a junior, and he outproduced D. Eskridge uh, at Western Michigan. And then on top of that, so he then leaves Western Michigan to, to go to Michigan State. That's when Sky Moore comes in, and so Sky Moore is playing in the exact same offense that that Jaden Reed did. Jaden Reed had a better freshman year yards per team pass attempt than Sky Moore did. So he effectively outproduced both of those second round wide receivers. Now I know both those guys really haven't panned out yet or, or probably, you know, D. would is probably toast, but you know, maybe Sky Moore shows us something or does something. Uh, but you know, that combined with the fact that one of the comps uh, in my model form was Stefan Diggs uh, for, for Jaden Reed and like all of it sort of came together. And I'm like, OK, this is a guy that I should probably keep my eye on. I, I think he could see day two capital, too. And if that's the case, he's going to really shoot up some draft boards.
2: Yeah, he's the wide receiver seven inside the uh, rookie rankings over
3: at player profiler. There you, go. you guys know what's up.
2: Yeah. Also have the Stefan Diggs comp in there. I mean, yeah. uh, yeah, 98th percentile breakout age is is also just phenomenal. So he's definitely landed inside our model as well. So glad to see that it's it's some uh, some similar process and and mindset here. Shout out to the Mac. Got to love those uh, those random
1: talent collections from these Mac schools. Yeah, uh, it's definitely definitely cool to see. Um, wanted to just go over a couple of running backs that you are higher on than consensus without giving away your rankings, because we encourage anybody listening to this to go and subscribe. Maybe you could give us one or two rookie running backs that could help our be- our early best ball uh, builds.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I I'll give you a ton. I think this running back class is, is pretty deep. Um, and it is one where, you know, we don't have much separation right now. Um, and that's the thing, you know, people were, people were talking to me like, Oh, I thought this was a really good draft class. And then I looked at your prospect model and like all these guys are more in like the, the low 80th percentile instead of like the high eighties or the low nineties. It's just because we have these guys clustered up in terms of projected draft capital right now. Once the draft happens, we're going to see some more separation. Like it's just bound to happen. That's what we see every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I, you know, after Zach Charbonnet, who I think is the, you know, to me should be the cons- consensus RB three in this class, maybe even like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if I have him at RB two, if he gets good enough draft capital, you know, uh, versus Gibbs. Uh, but regardless after that, I think Sean Tucker has a very, uh, in, intriguing profile productions really there. One of the best production profiles in the class. Uh, it seems like he's athletic according to his YouTube video that he posted, uh, to Twitter, uh, I think earlier this week. Uh, The one thing I will say is, uh, you know, some of the, the production metrics do seem a little bit manufactured. Uh, Like if if you look at his PFF receiving grade, it's not nearly as good as what his receiving numbers show. Um, And so that's somewhat of an issue. You know, I think that what we're going to see is, you know, he, he comps well to like Jeremy McNichols and, Eno Benjamin, these like ultra productive college running backs who didn't do a whole lot in the NFL, who were day three picks. And he could be in that mold, but if he's a day two pick, Another comp that he has is Dalvin Cook. Uh, not not that he would be that, but like if he gets decent enough draft capital, you know, that's the kind of running back that that we're looking at here with with Tucker. So I like him a lot. Chase Brown uh might be the most athletic running back in this class. The biggest question mark with him uh is is the fact that uh that his his age, uh, you know, he's he's just an older guy. I think he's played he played five years in the league uh or sorry in college. Um, but he does have a really, really good uh production profile profile and athletic uh, score and profile. I care about athleticism more at more running back than do a wide receiver, you know, two bigger bodied guys. I like is Izzy Aban- Abanacanda from, from my alma mater at Pitt. Um, you know, he's, he's a fast and big bodied dude who had a decent enough receiving profile. And then Kendra Miller, who, who played, you know, with Zach Evans and was able to still have decent enough production, uh, and, and a decent enough production profile on my model. Um, you know, I, I think that, that people don't really weigh, uh, again, this just goes back to the weight thing. They don't weigh weight enough within their process, and and those two guys have that bulkiness to carry a big workload. And then the last guy, sort of along those same lines, is Tank Bigsby. Um, you know, Bigsby is someone who you know one one of the production me- metrics that I look at in my model, um, is is best season reception share. So just the percentage of receptions that a guy has within his offense. And if you look at, I won't get through all the math in this. It's in the it's in the prospect guide. But essentially, if you look at two hundred and five plus pound backs. Who hit a fifteen percent or better reception share within that uh, within the model, and guys who were below that mark, or sorry, who were below that fifteen percent reception share mark. So we're looking at all two hundred and five plus pound running backs in this model, and then you you separate them from guys who had a reception share above fifteen percent and below fifteen percent. Uh, even when you adjust for draft capital, the guys above fifteen percent have pretty absurd hit rates, uh, and, and the grouping. Of those players, you get like Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt and all these like, I mean, it's a a very, very strong uh, group of players. And that's where Tank Bigsby lands right now. So he's someone else who, again, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm waiting for draft capital. I want to see if they really are day two picks. But if Bigsby, if Sean Tucker, some of these guys get day two capital, I'm going to like them a lot.
2: So two running backs that I'd like you to touch base on, and that I I, I like a lot the, this this class. One is probably a little bit on the lighter side, but the two prospects, one is Evan hole. the other one is Spears. Talk to me about those two running backs, and 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 what do you what do you think is going to be at least for their draft capital? What do you think is going to happen with them into the NFL the first year?
3: Yeah, so well, I'll, I'll talk about Spears first. Um, you know, my model, my model basically viewed Spears as like a standard backup running back who can fill in and be productive when he would, would step in, which isn't like a bad thing when you're looking at like a prospect, like his top comps were Bilal Powell, Ronnie Hillman, and and Jordan Todman who were, you know, especially Hillman. I mean, Hillman had, had some, some great production and some, some great work, uh, you know, in Denver. Um, and so, you know, he's just someone, someone who my, my prospect model doesn't overly love because a lot of his metrics that, you might fall in love with are efficiency-based ones because he was uber, uber efficient in college. Yep, um, and, and, and so my model isn't really looking at that so much. Uh, obviously, that translates to just raw production. But uh, you know, it, his numbers just didn't look as good because it was more efficiency-driven rather than you know raw production-driven. Um, and then when when it comes to Evan Hall, he's one of my I, I love Evan Hall. I should have mentioned him in in that in that answer to be honest with you. Very rarely, again, this goes back to the Tank Bigsby thing. Very rarely do you get some bulk with, and he's not like massive or anything, but he's got some bulk to him. Uh, rarely do you get that with such a good receiving profile, um, and, and that's what you have. Like I, I think Evan Hall is going to immediately be able to be a third down back in the NFL, and that's almost harder to do than from like a fantasy perspective and just like a, a production standpoint. That's almost harder to do than becoming like this like early down Deontay Foreman kind of player where you have to be really, really efficient to be valuable in fantasy football because receptions and targets matter so much. So I think that Evan Hall could end up seeing that third down back role and then show off, you know, hopefully he, he is athletic, hopefully show off a little bit and get some more early down work. And then maybe by year three, you know, he he's, he's got a decent, a decent workload going for him. I mean, that's, that's definitely in his range of outcomes. Yeah.
2: He had a, a pretty productive, um, combine is athleticism score over a player profiler definitely piqued interest of a lot of our subscribers as well came in at a 101.3 um i was watching tape on him and and just you know games in college and just fell in love with his ability to catch the ball and how he always seemed to find a crease and just explode mm-hmm. uh, i think he's going to have a pretty promising career at least early in his in in, in his uh career as a running back for sure And JJ, I just wanted you to touch on Zach
1: Charbonnet. This is a guy that we talked about on the Sonic Truth pod yesterday. um, And we kind of had the Gibbs versus Charbonnet discussion. What are your thoughts on Charbonnet? Kind of like what, what, how does his ceiling look in the league? And a couple, maybe a couple of your comparisons in your model for
3: him. Yeah, look, I, I I think that if you're looking at ceiling, he has a higher ceiling than Gibbs. And I think that that's something that's counterintuitive because Gibbs is this like electric back who sort of loosely comps to Alvin Camaro, which I don't really agree with because Kamara has 15 pounds on him. But, you know, who who loosely, you know, comps to that kind of player, uh, whereas Charbonnet already has the size like he, he's already there. You know, one of the comps for, for me, the three comps of my model for him were Sony, Michelle, Kareem Hunt and Tevin Coleman, which are, are, are solid, maybe not elite, but they're solid enough comps. Uh, one thing that's, that I think is pretty interesting that I pulled that's, that's in my prospect guy with Charbonnet is that as we know, he's currently projected to go in round two of the NFL draft. And if that happens, here's a list of the other four, 210 plus pound running backs who were drafted in the second round since 2011 with a best season reception share above 12%. Okay. So he's above 12%. He's a bigger bodied guy. Le'Veon Bell, Daniel Thomas, not great. Joe Mixon and Deandre Swift. And then if you were to add the third round to that, you get Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Charles Sims, DeMarco Murray, Zach Moss, Keyshawn Vaughn, Antonio Gibson, and Rashad White, which some of those names, bad, get it, totally understand. But we're talking, I mean, third round running backs do not have massively great hit rates. When you give it that context, Charbonnet is looking pretty good. So I think if he goes in round two, and if the gap, like I said, if the gap between him and Gibbs from a draft capital perspective is small enough, I wouldn't be surprised if my model ends up liking Charbonnet more than Gibbs. And I wouldn't be surprised if I rank Charbonnet as my RB2 over Gibbs.
1: Awesome. Billy, is there any
3: other
2: uh, rookies that you want to ask JJ about before we move on to the sophomores? I'd like to talk about Roshan. Um, okay, cool. You know, it was productive in in college. Uh, coming in, I mean, we're we're pretty high on him at player profile. It comes in as a running back four inside of this draft class. Um, I, I like the size, definitely like his ability to be a goal line back. This offense, I I could also see Dallas being a team that might yeah. select him as as the bruiser back. Give me your thoughts on Roshan and what you expect for him.
3: Yeah, look, there's going to be guys in every single class where my model's just not going to get it. You know, like it's just it's going to look at Roshan and it's not going to necessarily say, you know, there is like teammate scores that I look at and stuff like that, but it's not going to say, oh, this guy played behind arguably the best running back prospect in the last two <laughs> decades. Uh, you know, and and that's why his production profile looks like it does. And but he still he, saw least... the
2: field. That's the best impressive part.
3: Exactly, he still saw the field. and You know, his 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 first year in in, in college, he was able to to put up decent enough production. Um, and so I think that when you give all of that context, yeah, I mean, it's there again, I, I like bigger bodied running backs for that ceiling. Uh, I think that he's at least going to be able to play that role. And it's very easy. You know, when, when in situations like this, you can just lean on draft capital more than you other otherwise would, you know, and that's, that's totally fine. I think that's rational and where you're saying, okay, this, this NFL front office who put a lot of money into this uh, they said, we're going to draft Roshan Johnson in round three. Well, maybe there's something to Roshan Johnson. They're not just going to do that. Well, I mean, some teams might, but they, you know, they're, they're likely not going to just do that on a whim. So uh, to me, I, I agree with you. I mean, he, he seems like someone who is an ideal fit for Dallas, Um, you know, just given, given Tony Pollard there and not much else. Um, uh, and then, you know, one of my, one of my top comps for him, again, you get these like really weird comps because he didn't have any production, but one of the, one of the three was Chris Carson. And I think that that's the, the kind of career that we could see with a guy like Johnson.
2: One more I want to talk about and it's receiver at this point. So we're backtracking a little bit, but it's Rasheed Rice came up in our model as best compass Terrace Marshall. Uh, people know that I was in love with Terrace Marshall and it hasn't I developed where I thought it might develop. Please give me some, some more insight into Rasheed Rice and and please walk me off the ledge here from thinking we're going Terrace Marshall
3: 2.0. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing, his breakout age, um, you know wasn't necessarily fantastic. Uh, and, and some people will look at like draft day age as a, as a big deal for some of these guys. And there's a lot of older, older players coming out this year, you know, likely because of the COVID season and stuff like that uh, draft day age. I haven't found as long as they're not like, you know, 28 years old or something like that uh, draft day age. I haven't found to be that big of a deal, you know, unless you're inching towards 24, which he's not. Um, so I'm not really that concerned with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like he has decent enough size uh, he has good uh, production. The other thing, too, is that he had good production and he he led the Mustangs and catches in each of their last three seasons alongside NFL caliber players. I know that they weren't like amazing, but Danny Gray got drafted in round three by the 49ers. You had a Reggie Robertson, who, who was an undrafted guy for the Titans. So you have at least that evidence that he can compete with good players who are NFL caliber. Um, so I think that he's he's a, he's a worthwhile dart throw right now. He's not someone that I think is in like the you know, he's not inching towards like the Jalen Hyatt's of the world or, or Zay flowers or anything like that. But I do think that he's a solid enough dart. Yeah.
1: Well, Billy, I think it's time we move on to the sophomores. Uh, This was awesome. uh, Getting, getting JJ's uh, takes on a lot of these rookies. That was, that was really a lot of fun, but the guide also uh, talks in detail about these sophomores and it's, it's very cool. A lot of rookie guides do not have this. I think it's a really interesting thing that you put out, but before we jump into a couple of those guys, I want to find out the guys we're most worried about. The previous two drafts have been ADP bloodbaths for a few incumbent running backs. They happen to be second-year players. Two seasons ago, Travis Etienne was selected, and James Robinson's ADP shot way down. This past draft, Michael Carter was like potentially headed to the dead zone, and he got dusted when Brees Hall was drafted. Which running back are you most worried about losing a ton of value on draft night? And this will be for you as well, Billy. Go
3: ahead. So, so I, you know, I think we, we already talked about Tony Pollard. I think that's a possibility. Um, The thing with Pollard obviously is that he's an unbelievably good player. And so, you know, from, from a volume perspective, he doesn't need as much volume as another running back might need in order to be fantasy relevant. But even last year, I mean, he didn't see more than half of the team's running back rushes. He still only had a 10, 11% target share, which are fine numbers, but it's not like he had these like amazing peripherals within that offense. Right. And so if you look at that depth chart, uh, there's no one else really on that depth chart. Um and so they like they're, they only have two running backs right now. And so they're going to have to add a running back. Maybe they add someone before the draft. I think they're going to draft someone. Um hopefully it's not B. John Robinson for for Tony Pollard's sake, but he's one, but I think more of like a, a lower key cuz everyone knows that, that Dallas is likely adding a running back. I think more of a lower key one might be Travis Etienne. Um I'm I'm wor- I would not be drafting Etienne at his ADP right now. Not only because ETN uh, didn't have a great pass catching role last year, which I don't think we can assume gets that much better. You know, he only had about an 8% uh, target share per game rate last season, which is not that strong. Um, but on top of that, uh, you know, he's a player because he's not seeing that much volume through the air. He's a player who needs a lot of volume than on the ground in order to be super fantasy relevant. I think right now, you know, you will get him in like the third round or, or so uh, in drafts, but I'm worried when you look at that depth chart um, you know, they've actually openly talked about adding running back uh, a running back to that room, but you look at that depth chart, there's not that much behind him. I don't mind hasty, but he's not that. It's, it's not like he's that fantastic of a backup in terms of being able to handle and manage a giant workload. Um, and so I would not be shocked at all. If Jacksonville ends up taking a running back higher than we expect. And if that happens, you know, again, this is one of those situations where uh, it would be, be fine from a real football perspective, but it might, it might really hurt a guy like ETN from a fantasy football perspective because unlike a Tony Pollard who does it all in his offense and, you know, leans more as a receiving back, which is exactly what we want from a fantasy perspective. Travis ETN does not. And so ETN absolutely needs all of the rushing work that he can possibly get because the receiving work just hasn't been there for
1: him. It's a nightmare response from JJ for a lot of people listening in on this (laughs) one. And Billy, that's why we just,
2: we just draft uh, wide receivers in that round anyway. Isn't that right? (laughs) That's right. Oh, yeah, there's there's two backs that I have in mind here looking at uh, sophomore campaigns and and how they did in the rookie season. The first one that comes to mind is Tyler Algier. Right. Yeah. Last year had over a thousand rushing yards, 210 attempts. Uh, You have to think that the Falcons are going to add another back here, uh, especially given the fact that Patterson continues to kind of break down and is traditionally, you should be used more as a wide receiver. Um, You know, he's been efficient the last couple of years, but I don't think that that's going to be able to be uh, maintained and continue here Uh, in the projections. I do have a a rookie landing in Atlanta. Um, The other, the other running back, um, I think is going to be that this one frightens me because he's one of my guys is Rashad White. Um, you take a look at this backfield; they just brought in Chase Edmonds. Uh, there's a large void uh, between Fournette leaving. Uh, there is a there's fortunately a lot of other positions that they have to address, um, which this might be a later pick uh, in the draft for them to address the position, but nonetheless, still competition for Rashad White.
1: Well, that's I guess that's why we're co-hosts, Billy, because I had Tyler Algier as a guy that I've already got out of in, in Dynasty because I'm worried about him getting dusted on draft night. Rashad White's another one, especially because they only signed Chase Edmonds, so they're definitely going to try to add another back in the draft. And then one that's uh, also kind of a little bit lower in that than that Algier range right now in early best balls, but Brian Robinson. I think that Washington could make a splashy uh, a splashy move on draft night, potentially even taking Bijan Robinson. I think they're going to take an offensive player with that first pick. And I think it could be it could be him. They've been linked to tight ends, but that might be a Bijan spot. Um wanted to keep this going. Last year you had Drake London as your top rated wide receiver. How higher are you on him as a sophomore, JJ?
3: Look, so, well, first off, that with that last question, I know that I took it in a non-sophomore direction there. I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, um, no, no, um, no, 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 no. You I could have, go any, like, anywhere, but, anywhere. But, but, but to be fair, to be fair, Travis Etienne is sort of a sophomore, like sort of, kind of. Um, Isaiah Pacheco is another one that you could throw out there, too. I think that there's a little bit of fear what they could do. But re- regarding Drake London, um, yeah, he was my, my wide receiver one in last year's class. Um, you know, great production profile when healthy, especially uh, in, in college. Got the great draft capital as well. Um, but I, I, I think that if, if Drake London were, were to have played in an offense that wasn't from 1974 last season and, and they actually threw the ball at an even average rate, we would easily be talking about him in the same breath as, as Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave, whereas yeah, a lot of times we're seeing him in a tier below them, right? Which is fine. I, I get it. But uh, I, I think that, you know, in Dynasty, we're buying talent. We're not buying situation, right? And so when you when you look at Drake London's rookie season, Better yards per route run than, than Garrett Wilson. Uh, he had a target per route run rate that was third best from any rookie wide receiver since 2011. His target share per game was only worse than Odell Beckham since 2011. His yards per team pass attempt, which I found is, is pretty, you know, we always use it for college production and, and prospecting, but it's also predictive in the NFL as well, uh, was 2.09 was his yards per team pass attempt. The only rookie wide receivers during this timeframe that were better. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, AJ Brown, and OBJ. I mean, he is he is amongst the elite. You can do the same, play the same game with like Chris Alave, which is why I love Chris Alave so much, where, I mean, Alave's numbers are just like through the roof in terms of, of what he did in the peripherals. Um, and that's exactly what we see with Drake London. So I'm buying talent over situation and I don't think others are nearly as much as I am, clearly, or, you know, I've even had people in my mentions just say that Drake London sucks because he, like, of, of what he did, from a, a points per game perspective last season, because that's what people look at. Uh, but there's a lot more to it. I mean, London commanded a high target share. He was efficient when he saw his looks. He's definitely someone that you want in your fantasy roster. 29.4%
2: target share last year. Number five in the NFL for all receivers. Uh, target rate of 32.4, number two in the league. I love London as well. Uh, one of my guys on the site, we, we started our new bios up there. Uh, you could actually have a little thumb now. Let's go this way. A little thumb now when you have my guy next to him. Um, I totally agree with you here. I don't really care about the situation because in due time it's going to change. Yeah. Um, you, you, I think you gave Arthur Smith twenty years. I'd probably say nineteen fifty-four. Um, in terms of how this <laughs> offense looked, but it, it will change over time, and we're going to continue to see him being one of the the focal points of this offense. Uh, I was a little disappointed last year. I actually had London ranked ahead of Wilson in my rankings, and it was based on landing spot because I wasn't crazy about the Jets. And and the situation with Wilson, he outperformed you know my expectation in, in in that offense. I think that Drake London does the same this year. Um, there's a few names that he's kind of circulating around in redraft, um, and I have had trouble kind of finding the spot for him. Right, I've moved him up, I moved him down a couple times. Right now, I have him between Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, and Mike Evans. Use you, in your rankings is that roughly the same, or do you have him higher than these guys?
3: I actually haven't done redraft rankings yet, but I I, I ha, and I haven't built my projections yet. I'm just behind on it because of all the prospecting work and stuff. But yep. as as sort of like an eyeball, I would probably have them above those guys. Um, I, I I I definitely look on a team level. We generally always see regression happen in terms of pass rate, right? Like like the Bears people are going to say that the bears are going to be more pass heavy this year because of, you know, the additions at wide receiver and such, and they will be because of that, but they're also going to be more pass heavy just because of regression, because, you know, certain circumstances are going to put them in more pass heavy scripts. And, uh, you know, they're going to want to get more out of Justin Fields, et cetera, et cetera. We just see this oscillation every year uh, with, with all of these teams. I mean, last year it was really easy to call the giants as a team to, to buy into because of regression. And so the exact same thing is going to happen with Atlanta, going to happen with Chicago. It's just what happens. It's, it's math. That's really what it comes down to.
2: Yeah. Taking a look. I mean, these, these teams were like bottom of the NFL in, in past attempts, like 497.5 last year for Atlanta, we have 469 for Chicago, like both those uh, inside my projections, uh, you know, gave them, you know, pretty much a 10% bump almost just under uh, it because we're expecting some efficiency, some, some regression as well. Um, You know, the additions for, 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 for Chicago are definitely going to help with DJ more, but ultimately we're not expecting them to be the, the this low again in the league we should see some sort of regression i agree
1: yeah we the, the names you mentioned billy uh, it's it's easily drake london for me as well i mean and we talked about him two episodes ago when we were going round by round looking for a potential league winner i think that a lot one thing that really gets discounted with london was you know we talk about early entries but london was younger than uh, than the majority of the of the rookie class last year. He played very young and he saw that sort of target share uh, at that age. And we throw around the term alpha, like Drake London's an alpha. like there's there's not a lot of Drake London's walking around. I think this could be a big a big leap for him. And he started to see uh, you know, a higher amount of targets as we finished the end of the year last year. So I think that continues with Ritter. Um, well, JJ got you know Tony Pollard, uh, Twitter fired up already. Um, we, we, we mentioned the Ramondre Stevenson Bijan, So we got Ramondre Stevenson Twitter fired up and now we fired up Travis ETN Twitter. So we're going to keep it, uh, keep, uh, firing up these bases and we're going to go at Ken Walker. So a few people have him as dynasty, uh, r- r- running back one right now. Um, and on one of your recent pods, you talked to him about, about him as a potential dynasty cell. That's a guy that I've, I've had the kind of the same opinion of you, um, regarding him where he looks to me like a, a guy who maybe has topped out in terms of his trade equity and dynasty. What are your concerns about Walker? And, and maybe you could uh, b- uh, you know build on that a little bit, JJ.
3: Yeah, look, if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, you can have Kenneth Walker or Ken Walker, whatever he wants to go by now uh, on your on your dynasty team, of course, I'm going to say yes. Of course, I want a guy like that on my dynasty roster. Uh, but I do think to your point, you know, a lot of people see him as a very, very, very good fantasy asset. Maybe they have him at RB1. And I think if that's the case, then you can go out and try to sell him right now. You know, one of, one of the things with Walker is, is he had these pass catching concerns coming out of college. And again, I don't look at this as in a black and white way. I don't fade a player just because they had one small problem to their profile, but it was a problem where, uh, you know, his reception share was low. We don't typically see hits out of players from reception shares that low. He had great metrics otherwise. And so he still looked fine in my model. He's a 93rd percentile back. Um, but there were reasons to be a little bit no not as bullish. Um, and so uh, you know, if, if you look at what he did then as as a rookie, I remember during the season, especially that game against Tampa Bay where he had like a 25% target share in that that one, it was the London game. Uh, and you know, people on Twitter was like, see, he can catch passes. Look at this, he, he's someone who can command a high target share. I mean, yeah, I mean that 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 can happen in a single game, but when he became starter in that offense, he averaged a seven and a half percent target share per game. That is not That high at all. I mean, people complain about Jonathan Taylor and what he does uh from a pass catching perspective. He surpasses that. I mean, that that's that's Kenneth Walker wasn't even getting to Jonathan Taylor levels as a pass catcher. Um, the the thing with with Walker too, which I think can inflate a player's market value, is he's a he's a home run hitting running back. It's like what we saw with Saquon Barkley early in his career. I mean, he still is the same way, but he's a home run hitting running back, which means you know, he's gonna, he's gonna lose a lot of yards sometimes, but then he'll have those big highlight real runs. And then everyone's like, look at that. That guy's awesome. I want that guy on my fantasy team. Last season among NFL running backs with a hundred or more carries, Kenneth Walker gained zero or fewer yards at the highest rate in the league. And then on top of that, if you look at number fires expected points model, Kenneth Walker had the worst success rate in the NFL. So as a runner, what, what that tells you is his efficiency was fine. It was fine enough. But as a runner, uh, you know, he, he's a he's a home run threat. He's either not doing that much or he's getting these monster ADR touchdowns. Um, and that really attracts fantasy managers to those kinds of players. So I think, you know, the way that I sort of view him, and I don't think this is a bad thing. He he comped to him coming out of school and he still comps to him in my year two model, Nick Chubb. That's the kind of career arc and profile we're looking at with Kenneth Walker. There's nothing wrong with Nick Chubb. He's going to give you a high end RB two season. He'll maybe give you some, some spiked seasons where he's an RB one, but he's never that like elite game, you know, uh, uh, a difference making Fantasy football running back because of what he's doing as a pass catcher and and, and his team wanting to run him so much on the ground. That ex- that's exactly what I think we're getting out of Kenneth Walker. He should be more. You know, I, I think that once we sort of inject this running back class, we see how things play out next year. Walker can still be a, t- a top ten running back in dynasty, but I don't. I, I would not be shocked at all if he's consensus outside the top five after the season's over. After these running backs are able to get a fair shake,
2: Chubb's I love a great that. comp. It really is a great comp. you look at it like from a Apple's Apple standpoint from receptions and target share in, in, you hit the hammer on the nail, breakaway runs number 17, number three in the league. And that's what fantasy managers are chasing, right? The big play going after the touchdown, getting that, that 13 yard, you know, fantasy point on one, on one touch. Um, the other part that he was super, I should say involved in would be red zone touches. He had 52 red zone touches last year, number three in the league as well. Do we expect that to continue? I mean, that probably alone, if he is able to props up his fantasy value, at least in redraft.
3: Yeah. uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead,
1: JJ. Yeah.
3: I was just going to say, I mean, I I think that he'll be able to sustain the thing with that number two is that he wasn't even starting for the team early at at the beginning of last season. Uh, And just to give you some context about the efficiency stuff, Rashad Penny in the exact same environment was far more efficient than Kenneth Walker Penny was, was last good. year, you know? And, and I, I know that people are going to think that I'm like hating on Kenneth Walker because uh, I'm saying all these things. He's still good. He's still a very, very, very solid running back. I'm speaking purely to ceiling, purely to ceiling. And 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 when you're talking ceiling, you're, you're talking, you know, top three, top four dynasty running backs, you're, you're getting profiles and you want profiles that are like, Saquon Barkley that are like Bijan Robinson that are Christian McCaffrey, these pass catching backs. I just don't think you're going to see that from Kenneth Walker throughout his career. Do we like over under number of seasons with a 14 plus plus percent target share for Kenneth Walker throughout his career? Like I, I would probably okay. take the under uh, the on, on, on zero. Like, like, I think there's zero seasons where he hits that mark. Um, and so that, that's my fear with him is that he's just not going to be used that way
2: it's interesting to hear this because I'm traditionally lower on Walker as well. in my projections, like I already finished the 2023 projections and the initial run, it came out as running back 13. Um, You know, and looking at it, I adjusted just, partly because of ADP as well and wanting to ensure that I'm not off the mark too much. But even after adjusting, he's still at running back 10 inside of my projections and I can't find much wiggle room to move him up more than that than I already have simply because of the second run, I already boosted up numbers and I was getting to a point where I was uncomfortable with how high these, you know, these numbers were. If I were to go back and revert it running back 13, 14 was within the realm of possibilities for my projections.
3: Yeah, wait, wait for them to draft Bijan Robinson
1: too. Don't, yeah. don't. <laughs> there was actually a, a Seattle, a Seattle Seahawks uh, website that that uh, went out and said that we should just double down on running back, and people lost it. Um, but Billy, Billy, it's funny because we we talked about um, best ball ADP on previous first class fantasies, and Ken Walker's going right around Jalen Waddle. He's going right around Amon Ross St. Brown. He's he's going in the. Like in that like thirteen to eighteen range right now in these FFPC best balls, so it's a very scary uh, place to take them. And JJ brings up the Nick Chubb comparison. You could just wait and take Nick Chubb um in later. Yeah, and and their their uh, you know their outcomes for this season are pretty pretty comparable. But I think that Ken Walker's really steamed up in Dynasty and in Redraft. He won't be a guy who I'm going to have a whole lot of uh, certainly in these early best balls. Uh, dealer's choice, and let's start on start with Billy on this one. And then JJ, when you answer this one, I want you to also share your thoughts on Jamison Williams in in his production model. But Billy, would you rather have on your best ball teams right now, George Pickens, Traylon Burks or Jamison Williams for this season?
2: Best ball, Jamison Williams, redraft,
1: I'd take um, Perks. Best ball, Jamison Williams, redraft. I might take Jamison Williams on both. Um, And I I like I like Burks a lot, but I think I might take Jamison Williams on both. I think he's going to be really, really good this season. And then JJ your thoughts in in a best ball context and maybe you can share your thoughts on Jamison Williams in how these sort of players kind of give you a little problems in the model.
3: Yeah. So, you know, uh, in the year two model, which is looking at year two or year three production. So it's trying to predict how well these guys do in year two and year three. Um, I, I it has it ranked Pickens, Burks, Williams, and Williams is it, Pickens and Burks. It's whatever. I mean, they're a percentile apart. So it's, it's really, you know, you could, you could go either direction. Pickens was actually really interesting to me because, uh, when I entered the off season, I'm like, this guy's overvalued, like, like immediately that was my first read. Um, but then I dug into it a little bit. And, you know, his yards per team pass attempt within the context of that team, really not bad. Uh, And and when you, when you look at his yards per route run rate, which is usually the metric that people cite when saying bad things about George Pickens, uh, the Steelers offense was a lot better after their buy last year, you know, second half of the season. Uh, And during that second half, his yards per route run was totally fine. It was like 1.66 or something like that. It was the first half that was really bringing it down. And it was all comparable to Deontay Johnson the entire way. So you know, if you look at how George Pickens did versus the other wide receivers on Pittsburgh, he actually outperformed them in yards per route run by 0.3. Um, and so he was he was really not as inefficient as I think people believe. And, you know, as much as we don't want to admit, yards per route run is sort of influenced a little bit by uh, quarterback play too. Um, you know, it's not, it's not agnostic to, to quarterback play. Um, so, you know, I, I might say Pickens here, honestly, which is not something that I expected to say, uh, you know, a, even a month ago. Um, and then with Jamison Williams, here here's my deal with Williams. And I like he entered the league in my prospect model with a a, a, a prospect score above the ninety fifth percentile, which is a mark that elite players hit. Like he was an elite prospect. I'm not trying to 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 throw any shade his way from that perspective. Um but again, i'm I'm trying to predict year two and year three for these guys. And uh, when you don't play much at all during your your first season because there's production inputs in this year two model, you're just going to look bad. Travis Etienne didn't look very good after uh, he didn't play year one. And so I said, but the difference is that with running back, I think is a little bit different than wide receiver because there's sort of a precedent of running backs being able to perform right away. um, You know, when when they don't have a lot of reps in the NFL, don't have a lot of of reps within their offense. And so I still was fine with kind of throwing that out with Travis Etienne. With Jamison Williams, it's a little bit different. And the reason I say that is if you look at history or since 2011, which is where I date all this stuff back to, uh, if you look at wide rookie wide receivers who played uh, eight or fewer games or fewer than eight games as rookies, um, and you look at how they did in years two and three, only one player had a max PPR point per game season in year two or year three above 13 PPR points, which is kind of frightening. And that one, and there's, cause there's a lot of guys who didn't play, you know, eight games as rookies, as rookie wide receivers. That one guy was Alan Hearns, who was not someone that we were going to pinpoint anyways, as like the dude, my thing with Jamison Williams is I could see this being more of like a Mike Williams situation where it took him a little while to sort of get acclimated and get ready and be good. And obviously he's great from best ball perspective. Um, but I, I am a little bit concerned about Williams just from that perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that it's easy to say, Oh, well we should, we should change the model up because he didn't play that much. And that's not fair to Jamison Williams, but I'm looking at things. I don't think, number one, I don't think you should change anything because there's an exception to the rule, uh, first off. But number two, when you look at history, even with first round picks, there's been guys like this. I mean, there's been like Brashad Perriman, and, uh, you know, I, I think Josh Doxson didn't play a whole lot as a rookie. And I'm not saying they're the exact same kind of prospect as Jamison Williams. I'm saying that the precedent is not necessarily there for Jamo to just all of a sudden be, you know, this stud wide receiver in fantasy. Now, Am I going to be surprised if he is? Of course not. He was a 95th percentile prospect. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be shocked by that, but this is sort of where my the, the way I analyze this stuff comes into play. I just try to look at it from every angle, have as much nuance as possible. And there is a little bit of fear, at least in the short term, for Jamison Williams to be the wide receiver that we expect him to be if he's fully healthy.
2: Jamison Williams to me is like Will Fuller with hands. Right. And just has the ability, the big playability. We saw it last year. Very, very small sample, but he did have that one catch for 41 receiving yards. Right. The Lions are so much more improved. This team, this Dan Campbell has instilled upon this culture of change. And we're seeing it, you know, in action here in Detroit. They won, was it six straight? To, to close out the year last year. My fear is the other, you know, talk of that I'm bringing in of the receiver already. And I don't expect it to hurt James Williams that much as he's going to be a burner and to be the field stretcher. And I think from a best ball perspective, that's where I want him. Um, love Pickens. Pickens was actually, I mocked him in around one last year going to Green Bay. It should have happened. It didn't happen. But here we are. Pickens has the ability to just get up and make plays. The great catch radius, monster, monster with the ball, just super aggressive. Love the fact. My question is, does he command enough target share in order to take that leap here in, in, in year two?
3: Yeah, I mean I I I I think that there's a concern there because obviously it was at 15-16% target share. I mean that's that's not a number that we like are are striving for. And if you look at comps for Pickens, even like a Christian Watson to some degree, but if you look at a comps for, comps for Pickens, um you know, you could go the DK Metcalf route or you could go like the Greg Little route where it's like like you know, the, and DK Metcalf had a much higher uh target share per game rate as a rookie than what we we saw out of out of George Pickens. It was like 4 percentage points higher. And so, yeah, there's definitely some fear there. But I think overall, um, you know, Pickens at least has has a decent enough baseline. And when you give what he did during his rookie season, some context of what that offense was doing and how it was operating. I just I don't think people really remember how bad the Steelers offense was throughout the first eight or nine weeks of, of last season. Like it was Pill. like arguably the worst in the league. Uh, and then when when Pickett kind of got going, they had that by, uh, you know, they, they were a lot more efficient offensively. And while Pickens didn't necessarily like Pickens didn't see any change in target share without Chase Claypool, which is also, you know, question mark, somewhat of a problem. But at the same time, if the, if the Steelers offense can continue to, to improve and get better, um, you know, Pickens seeing those down the field targets probably won't go away.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. I've actually gotten into uh, kind of Twitter, Twitter battles with people where I'm, I'm backing up Pickens as a potential dynasty buy, and pretty much all of the receivers with draft capital under Mike Tomlin, the going from their rookie season to year two have added on in terms of their receptions, their total receptions. It was Juju Smith, Schuster, James Washington, Deontay Johnson. We put Pat Friermuth in there just because of his draft capital. And uh, there's one I'm forgetting in in this, but they, they average 21.5 receptions gained And Chase Claypool was the only one to go down in terms of total reception. So I think that Pickens does have a chance to really take a a big uh, leap in year two. I think he does profile as a guy that you're going to at least target in the red zone. And I think they'll manufacture some touches and looks for him. So that's interesting. JJ, I do want to touch on the tight end position. Your model does not look at tight ends, but is there a tight end that you look at that could be a breakout this year, a guy that you expect to take a big leap forward?
3: Yeah. So it's funny is actually earlier today, right before this, this show, I sent a newsletter out to my, to the late round fantasy football subscribers. Uh, I built a tight end model. That's sort of there. It's like not quite there. And I just wanted to sort of brain vomit on people just to kind of get it out there and see how people react. And so I, I, again, like going back to what I talked about earlier with draft capital Delta, um, you know, one of the, 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 guys, there are two guys who tied for the best draft capital Delta within this tight end model. One of them was George Kittle, which is great, right? That's a great result. The other one was Chigakonkwo. And that was, I love it. that was as a prospect, right? This is, that doesn't even factor in what the guy did, uh, during his rookie season, which by the way, I, again, I don't think everyone realizes how freaking unreal his rookie season was on a yards, per, yards per route runs, uh, basis. look back to 2011 I'll read you the top 6 yards per route run uh, uh, uh tight ends. You have George Kittle in 2019, Mark Andrews in 2019, George Kittle in 2020, George Kittle in 2018. I guess George Kittle is pretty good. Uh <laughs> Rob Gronkowski 2013 and then Chig Conquo in 2022 as a rookie. He did that as a rookie. None of the other guys did it as a rookie. So I think he is absolutely like the go-to get him now. Go 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 uh go go trade for him tight end, uh, not only like within this, like second year grouping, but in all of fantasy football, I just think that he's an obvious go-to guy. If he doesn't pan out, you're not spending that much to get him right now. And we know that tight ends a relative crap shoot anyway, but you know, the, the, the speed scores there, the production, I mean, I mean, it's there. Um, and so I'd rather, you know, he's, he's just the right kind of bet to make.
1: It's you know I need to do podcasts with people who are less sharp I guess because I put all this research into Chicaconquo and JJ just crushes it. <laughs> Bill, Billy Billy takes Billy takes all my running backs who are going to get dusted on draft night. But I will add Chig, Chig is is the guy that I that I think is going to break out as well. He was tight end seven overall from weeks thirteen through eighteen, and there's a complete lack of target competition in Tennessee uh, between Austin Hooper and Robert Woods. That's 34.7% of Tennessee's targets from last season have been vacated. So I'm all about Chica I think that's an awesome, awesome take by JJ. Billy, you have another uh, breakout tight end though.
2: I I do. I have, I have them back to back in my rankings because I love Chigo as well. Um, 12 and 13, both these, both these tight end rankings. The other one is Greg Dulcich. Um, Love what he was able to do come in after his injury from his rookie year came in, um, you know, started immediately making an impact on this offense and how pitiful it was. We're expecting this offense to be much improved with Sean Payton. Uh, they bring in Joe Lombardi as well, uh, which I think will benefit uh, Greg Dulcich in the short intermediate routes and passes that they're going to do. Uh, you look at he had what 17 percent target share as a rookie. We're expecting that to increase here in, in 2023. Fifty five targets as a rookie, uh, you know, snap share about 75 percent. So all these numbers were baselines. We're expecting it to increase here in 2023. And we look at what he did out of the slot. He ran 193 snaps out of the slot, number six um, in in the league here for tight end. So I, I really, really like Greg Dolcich. Think it's gonna. I think he's in, in in line for an explosion here in year two. JJ, anything to add on Dolcich?
3: Yeah, I know I agree. I mean, anytime that you can find volume from a from a rookie tight end, the way that he was able to gobble up that volume, usually a decent bet. I mean, I'm I'd I'd much rather go this route uh, by by targeting these second year guys, even third year guys uh, in Dynasty than draft them in rookie drafts. Uh, I have a show coming out next week on just how bad that kind of investment is in rookie drafts, uh, going after the tight end position. So uh Conco would be your dude or or Greg Dolcich. Uh, as opposed to going after, you know, not that this tight end class is bad. It's just an an easier investment, uh, you know, training for these guys rather than spending a rookie pick on one.
1: Uh, This was, uh, this was a whole lot of fun, Billy, before we wrap this up, can you please let everybody know about man versus machine,
2: your exciting new podcast that's coming out? Yeah, we have man versus machine. It's going to be launching today at uh, 3 p.m. Pacific. So 6 p.m. Eastern Uh, it's designed. uh, Of course, I'm the man. Uh, Dario is the machine. He's our analytics director over at player profiler. Uh, And this will be a show purely based on rankings debate and projections. We're going to take a look at uh, my projections. He's going to analyze what he thinks is maybe incorrectly identified as maybe too high or too low. We're going to debate the topic. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about Joe Burrow today. I know we're going to be talking about Garrett Wilson today. There's a few other players that we will be discussing. Um, and we were going to see who walks out of that of that room as victorious, the man or the machine. And that's going to be kicking off today at 3 p.m. Pacific or 6 p.m. Eastern.
1: I'm super stoked for that one, Billy. And you got to leave a little gas in the tank because me and you are going to be back here tomorrow for another edition of First Class Fantasy. Uh, JJ, this was absolutely awesome. Again, let everybody know where they can find you.
3: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at LateRoundQB, and then all my work is over on LateRound.com. Awesome, JJ. Well,
2: thanks for joining us, everybody. We hope
3: you enjoyed the show. Take care.
0: Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.